This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. For me, McDonald's is a place I go to get a pick-me-up when I'm feeling down, and the people that make that possible are McDonald's great crew members. Whether they're remembering your usual order or providing fast and friendly service, a huge thanks to McDonald's crew members for making everyone's McDonald's visit special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Why don't you come with us to Palermo tomorrow? We're taking Hugo and Didier on the boat. We're having a big party at the villa. You have to see the villa and the boat. It's like a really big party. Like oh, big yes. <laughs> and we'll find you a terribly well-hung Italian stud, heterosexual. Even. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married, but we won't tell. By the way, that was basically the same pitch I made to Roxana to host this podcast with me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Roxana Haddadi. Welcome to the podcast, folks. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be discussing season two, episode four of The White Lotus. And I'm really excited about it uh, because there is so much to discuss. Roxana, we have our first kind of mini scandal on this podcast, mm, whereby whereby uh, we made we didn't really make a mistake. We made an oversight and we got a bunch of emails about it. So we'll talk we about did. that. You can we find did. more of episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Decoding TV. Now, uh, we got a bunch of emails at decodingtv at gmail.com about, uh, <laughs> I don't know who of us said it. I think it was you, Roxetta, that was talking about how in the opening credits of the show, there is a woman who appears to have sex with a goose. Yeah, and... I was very into the swan sex and curious about it, but mm-hmm. I didn't Google because why would I try to educate myself in any way? Exactly. it's it's makes no sense for you to try to do no. that. But no. we got a ton of emails at decodingtv.gmail.com, which was great. It was actually great. I love receiving the emails yeah, because no. it shows people Thank you care. for everyone yes. for pointing out my complete lack of like Greek and Roman mythology <laughs> education. <laughs> well, well put. Well put. Um, yeah. But a lot of people pointed out that what is being depicted in the image in the opening credits, which, by the way, I believe is the same paintings and frescoes that are in the house that Harper and Daphne stay in. Um, mm, that's is, another. Um, maybe. Yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Okay. Is, it's actually Leda and Zeus from Greek mythology. Okay. Um, and I'm reading uh, from a, you know. A few different emails here, but Matthew from London writes, uh, Zeus took the form of a swan and raped Leda. Some versions imply that it's consensual, but others say otherwise. Um, that's basically the whole story. End quote. Mm-hmm. Now, how does this apply to the White Lotus? Well, there's a lot of people speculating at what this could mean. Um, but uh, Matthew continues, you know, the fact that Harper is a lawyer who deals in sexual misconduct and Bert bring up rape directly uh, a couple episodes ago. It seems like they're setting up some kind of... Uh, assaults to happen in the future very likely end mm-hmm. quote um uh, another person writes about uh, mark from st louis writes to decoding tv at gmail.com about how like albie is willing to say or do whatever he thinks portia wants in order to have sex with her right uh end quote and so maybe it's about like albie trying to become a different uh take a different form in order mm-hmm. to uh, get in portia's good graces um, who knows? But yes, I, I do think that it is probably foreshadowing. I will say that in the opening credits, when the swan is shown having sex with uh, Lita, 
the name that appears on screen, I believe, is his director of photography. So it's not it's not a character. Uh, it's not an actor and <laughs> they character. They covered their tracks with that yeah, one. Yeah, they covered their tracks well with that one. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know if you have any other thoughts, Roxanne, on this. Well, but. I just, I we've talked about this from the beginning. Uh, we don't really understand everything that Dominic might have done back in the day, right? I mean, it seems like there's like infidelity and potentially something else. So I don't necessarily know if I got the sexual assault is going to happen read Mm -hmm. but i could definitely be in the more infidelity will happen camp Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know especially with like harper and ethan and cam and daphne i just feel like you don't get four characters who are always comparing you know comparing and contrasting without potentially something happening there swap wise yeah so we'll see we will see a uh, couple people wrote in about the parallels between The White Lotus and the Anton, uh, Antonioni movie La Ventura. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monica Vitti appears in La Ventura, the 1960 film. And Tanya, the Jennifer Coolidge character in The White Lotus, is obsessed with Monica Vitti in this season. Right. I'm reading from a website called CheatSheet.com. Ooh. Uh, Monica Vitti's breakout role was in the international film La Ventura, in Tanya's Italian Dream episode, she became Monica Vitti in La Ventura. Antonioni directed the drama and filmed it in Rome and Sicily. It is about the search for a young woman, Anna, who goes missing during a boating trip in the Mediterranean. The woman's lover, Sandro, becomes infatuated with her best friend, Claudia, who's played by Monica Vitti, while they search for Anna. Hmm. Before Anna went missing, she complained to Sandro that she was unhappy with his long business trips, and he didn't seem to care. Tanya wants to become Monica Vitti in The White Lotus Sicily. However, she's more like Anna than Vitti's character, Claudia. Uh, and I should also point out, in the end, Sandro finds another woman to replace Claudia when they check into the same resort as Tanya uh, and Greg in The White Lotus Sicily, the San Domenico Palace Hotel. End quote. Mm. So, Uh-oh. Uh, but yeah, there was a scene with Harper, Harper, the Aubrey Plaza character, that was basically like exactly the same shot as in Love Ventura, and a lot of people right. pointed that out. And there are parallels between uh, the plot of Love Ventura and Jennifer Coolidge's plot in this season of the show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, thanks to everyone who wrote in about that as well. Yeah, and then. I think that's all the emails we wanted to cover on this episode. Uh, I'm sorry. We will... Did we not want to also cover an email that validated my opinion about <laughs> our nice guy trademark? Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, I'm trying to forget that email, but uh, Fred from Los Angeles writes in to further Roxana's points from the recent episode. Not only does Albie needlessly go after the Godfather, I'd argue his words were performative at best. Thank you. There's a Thank moment you, during Fred. his monologue where he clearly checks to see how Portia's responding to it, and it indicates to me that he's saying what he thinks he wants to hear. I've known a lot of guys like Albie who go for the low-hanging fruit of men be bad, expecting it to get them attention from women, and then get angry when women don't instantly fall in love with them. It seems very clear that Albie's going to great lengths to show Portia that he's doing everything she wants in a man, so that if and when she rejects him, he can throw it all back in her face like, see, women don't really want a nice guy, end quote. Well, we will talk about whether or not that happens this episode. Yeah, but... I feel like that is a that is a very interesting perspective heading into this episode mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. everything that happens with Albie, Portia. And uh, all the other characters that sort of interact with their storylines. Because now we're getting that. We're getting a lot of interacting between storylines. Yes. Roxana is very much on the Albie sucks train. Yes. And I am not off that train. 
But I am maybe on the Albi is a sympathetic character and also potentially sucks as well. So I mean, both things can be possible. Both things can be true. Both but I think he sucks is like 1A and then he's sympathetic is like 2C. He in sucks the is like list. a P0 if this were, if yes. you're launching a product. Yes. Albi sucks would be the... Decoding TV P0, uh, mm-hmm. according to Roxana Haddadi. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And uh, you, we read your comments as well on Twitter at decodingtv, on YouTube, youtube.com slash at, uh, at decodingtv, and so on. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is some good news. Uh, the White Lotus has been renewed for season three. Yes. So there is going to be another season of The White Lotus, uh, theoretically with another cast of characters. And. I am very curious if uh, Mike White's going to create more of a writer's room. I'm pretty sure he wrote every episode this season. Like, he's the sole credited writer on every episode this season. Mm -hmm. And Um, last season. I mean, this is like his his whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am curious if he'll bring in some more perspectives. I do think that um, uh, even this season, we are seeing some of the limits of what can be explored with this format. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just curious how next season will evolve, but I'm still quite enjoying this season, and so I'm looking forward. How will the White Lotus survive <laughs> all of these deaths in various yeah. locations? <laughs> I, I I love how yeah, there's all these deaths, and I think that it's very likely that uh, next season it's all going to be kind of a corporate espionage thriller about yeah. how the White Lotus uh, is able to turn around its uh, public image given all these deaths that occur. You know? White Lotus takeover edition. Corporate yes. takeover. Corporate leveraged buyout edition, <laughs> basically. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that would be a whole other level of elitism, class, wealth. I almost want it to happen. Do you have any desires as to where you want the White Lotus to be set next season, Roxana Haddadi? Uh, I don't know if I had desires. I had an immediate concern that it would be in like Dubai. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of like other wealthy places it could be. Yes. Why? Why I, is that a concern for you, Roxana? Uh, I mean, because I, I mean, I the show has handled you know the depiction of non-white people so so well, well so well. <laughs> it's so, uh, it's been overwhelmingly good how well it's handled. Everyone it. has applauded it. Like everyone has said, <laughs> what a good job. Um, just because I think that I feel like. Dubai is sometimes just Western or American shorthand for look. The Middle East can also be opulent and somewhat Mm -hmm. superficial and consumerist. Mm -hmm. And I just I sort of shudder at the idea of that expanded into a season. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, I really can't tell. I also wonder if we would go elsewhere in Asia. I don't know. What if it's like White Lotus, Hong Kong? I I have no White Lotus, Macau. I cannot mm-hmm. I cannot tell. Mm-hmm. Macau would maybe be interesting though. I was just joking about that, but that could potentially have <laughs> have some interest. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And do you uh, think of anywhere? Do you have anywhere? Yeah, I think those. You know, again, I I'm I'm less interested in the location and more interested in like. Uh, I wonder if we can get a writer's room going and some differing perspectives in there mm-hmm. because I do think that would help the show. I, like I said, I think we're running into the limits of what can be explored using the current sensibility. Yeah. And um, and I hope that the, the show kind of branches out a little bit more when it comes to like other perspectives. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it regardless. So, all right. 
I think that's uh, all the stuff we wanted to talk about before we get to the main episode. Yeah. Season two, episode four, In the Sandbox is the name of the episode. In the Sandbox. Roxana Haddadi, why don't we start by talking about overall thoughts on this episode? My overall thoughts are sort of what I alluded to earlier. It feels like a lot of the storylines are coming together right now. Some of them in a little bit of a more fulfilling way than others. Uh, and once more, I apologize. I keep harping on this. Harping. Ha. Huh? Uh, once more, I just feel like Harper and Ethan do not behave in a way that makes sense to me necessarily. So I just have such a frustration with Harper in this episode. I just sort of wish that she had been, I don't want to say more confrontational, but I feel like she has been set up to be this character who speaks her mind. And I understand that she is now sort of uh, like reeling back from that, given how Ethan has treated her on this vacation. But I sort of felt like her behavior in this episode to me felt like a very simplistic reading of how a woman would react in this way. Like be passive aggressive, be sort of digging, be looking for information uh, without just coming out and saying what you think. So I didn't, I didn't love that. And of course, as soon as she came back, and started telling Ethan like how triumphant she was about Cam and Daphne not being happy. I was like, you need to talk about literally anything else to your husband. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That sort of that sort of rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm very curious about where the Quentin stuff goes. Mm -hmm. The Quentin yeah. and Tanya stuff. Well, we're like at episode four of seven. I'm like, it's yeah. pretty late to be introducing a major character at this point. And yeah. so... Yeah, I'm curious how they're going to tie that up in any way that's kind of interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, that actually the the Cam and the sort of Harper and Ethan stuff was my favorite part of the episode. So it was your like least favorite is my mm -hmm. favorite. Mm -hmm. um, continuing our trend of disagreeing about virtually every major thing on the show. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the most compelling part, and we'll talk about why when we get to what happens. But. Um, the the Cam, Daphne, Harper, Ethan stuff is we're seeing two relationships in various forms of dysfunction. Sure. Right? That's that's what that is. And outwardly, they present very, very differently. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're observing from the outside, they're like, ooh, these are there's they have nothing in common. But like when you probe deeper, they're clearly both like very broken relationships in different ways. Uh, and I find that just like a really interesting, uh, interesting. Hmm. Um the other stuff is like okay, yeah, it's not it's not as interesting to me. The Albi stuff, yes, I, like we'll talk about. You know, <laughs> it's just it's weird. Some of the stuff that's weird. Uh, I think it just makes me feel very old. I will admit mm -hmm. myself here and say that like the Albi, Portia, Jack, Lucia maneuvering mm -hmm. just makes me feel ancient. Because mm -hmm. because you and I are like out of that game. We've been out yeah, of that game for a totally while. out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the Lucia stuff, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, st I'm trying to figure out what the show is trying to say about sex work, right? Yes. Uh, it's we'll very difficult that. to tell what yeah, the opinion I, is. If there I, is an opinion. I, I, I have some thoughts. I think this episode starts to clarify it a little bit, mm -hmm. but, um, overall, I still think 
this is still a trend. Like last episode, like a lot of stuff happened. This is a transitional episode. I think there'll be probably some big confrontations next episode mm-hmm. or things will come to a head, I think mm-hmm. is my guess mm-hmm. in the next episode or two. Um, so, uh, but I, I, to me, the Cam, Daphne, Harper, Ethan stuff is like the beating heart of the show for me. So why don't we get into it? Let's do it. We begin at the White Lotus the next morning uh, from the events of last episode. Cam wakes up with both Lucia and Mia in bed with him. And Ethan is in his own room and he finally picks up uh, one of Harper's calls. Uh, And he's missed many of her calls, but he finally answers and she asks, like, what did you guys do? And he basically says, uh, we drag a lot, you know, and she starts to sense that something really weird is going on. So Cam gets rid of Lucia and Mia, pays them only $1,800, which is less than what he owes. Do you, Mm -hmm. was it stated how much he owed, by the way? I think it was just. I think it's either 3,000 or 5,000. It's some, it's some significant amount. Yeah. And Cam goes into Ethan's room and lies down in bed next to him and kind of says, Hey, bro code, you can't tell anyone what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, so any thoughts on this so far, Roxana? I, it's it was a weird scene when he comes into to Ethan's room. I thought, you know, but it, somebody unsettling. emailed us about this because I kept being like, I don't understand why Ethan doesn't just leave. Yeah. and someone emailed us and was like, bro code. Like, if you have if you have this sort of relationship yes. with someone who considers themselves an alpha male, like this is just sometimes the social order that can happen. Um, so I I did sense that, and I also sensed that Ethan just wanted it to be over. You know, like mm-hmm. I can't tell if Ethan wants Cam's approval so much as he just wants to like get through the trip. That's so my sense. Sort of felt, he's just trying to get through the trip. Yeah. You know? So I sort of felt that scene. Of course, Cam would go bro code. And of course he would make some like homoerotic jokes because that just is who Cam is. But yeah, I sort of got that sense of Cam assuming that Ethan would cover him for him, perhaps because there was a history there of Ethan doing that in college, potentially. So it felt like a familiar dynamic for them. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is a it is a common idea amongst sure. men, the bro code, that when sure. like uh, guys misbehave, that you know you don't you're not going to like tattle on them don't narc don't snitch don't narc Mm -hmm. uh i I do think ethan takes it a little bit too far this episode yeah i i honestly (laughs) was surprised that he followed it at all Mm. yeah yeah um i I wasn't surprised that he followed it at all but like to the extent that he does is is pretty shocking to me Mm -hmm. so we then cut to the palazzo. Daphne's there with Harper, and Daphne asks Harper to do the sister <laughs> exact code. Same thing. Basically, don't <laughs> don't talk about things. And she's like, she she says this line that I thought was really interesting, where um, Daphne says, "Like I, I I can trust you because like you don't know anyone. Well, no one I know, right? Right. And it it does capture this dynamic of there are these people in your life who are like at the periphery of your life. They're not like the close, close friends, but sometimes you feel more liberated to talk with them because they don't know any of your close friends. And so they're not going to like 
tell any of your close friends about like your de- uh, your deepest darkest problems mm-hmm. and it can be kind of liberating but also like scary because you don't you don't know them very well so it's like what are they going to do with that information well um, and also coming from daphne it's like you don't know anybody i know because you're not like popular or connected <laughs> yes that's right <laughs> that's right that's right yes yeah um but I, I like that it's it's captured like what I love about the Cam, Daphne, Harper, Ethan storyline is like I feel like these are very real dynamics that I have witnessed occasionally mm-hmm. been part of, you know, like uh, and I find them to be quite compelling and, and really well depicted. So mm-hmm. uh, back at the White Lotus, the couples reunite. Ethan's still in a haze and Harper then goes on this big speech where she's like, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, you know, they they something's really messed up in their relationship you know they our lie to each other yeah they lie to each other our relationship's way better and that's when she finds a durex condom wrapper in the couch <laughs> and i love the sound design of all the aubrey plaza stuff this episode because like all the sound is just there's this like ringing buzzing like yeah the world like tunes out um because she's kind of processing this information and and she's trying to understand what happened um, what did she miss? What happened? Right. How my, did this happen? Yeah. My interpretation is she's probably processing multiple possibilities. One of which is, uh, did Ethan sleep with another woman? But another of which is, did Ethan sleep with Cam? Oh, um, okay. That, that was that was honestly the number one thing that came to mind because she keeps asking him like. What did you guys do? Oh, we drank a lot. It was just you and me and Cam. Was there anyone else? Nope. It was just me and Cam. You know, we just drank a lot. And, we hung, and then, then then she finds a condom. It's like, are these guys like to get? And then Ethan's like, thinks it's really important for Cam to have our approval. Like, what's going on? You know? Okay. So, that's interesting. And, 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 and that's why I think her reaction is also one of like, you you described it as passive aggressive, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's also, in my opinion, my perspective, one of compassion because maybe Ethan Ethan is clearly like not out. In my opinion, he's not out as a gay person or bisexual person. I don't think. Okay. Um, and so, like, maybe she doesn't want to like if if he is secretly gay or secretly bi or whatever, she doesn't want to like rush him through that. You know, like she's like feels she feels betrayed, but she doesn't want to like yeah. Anyway, do you that's my actually believe this? I one hundred percent believe what I'm saying right now. Okay, I don't. Because, okay. be, just, like, look at the episode. I'm like, oh, she probably thinks he and Cam got together. Like, oh, I what don't is think, it? I don't okay. think that at all. All right. Fair I think, enough. I think that she thinks that he cheated on her. And mm-hmm. I think that she is increasingly, uh, like, irritated or frustrated with his refusal to admit that. Yeah, I, I, again, I just didn't read it that way because, like, I, just, I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't read it as like, yes, she's obviously frustrated. Like, she wishes she would mm-hmm. tell her the truth, mm-hmm. but like, part of me reads into the performance like maybe she thinks he has a good reason for not telling the truth, like hmm. beyond just I cheated on you, like, hmm. you know. But anyway, okay, uh, may, maybe you find this. I, I, I mean, I was like, I was. When I was watching the episode, I was really trying to like put myself in her perspective. Like, what would I think? Like, what mm-hmm. would be the first thing that came to mind? And it would be, yeah, that she, she he cheated with another woman. Mm-hmm. But then, like, as like her line of questioning continued, I was like, oh, maybe she's trying to like figure out if there's something else deeper going on here. So, people may disagree, and I, I suspect that by next episode, this debate 
will not be important anymore. Um, like we'll find <laughs> out. But um, anyway, well, I just I just think it's interesting because to your to your point, like the dynamics are so are revealed to be so messy and murky that I can understand her having this immediate reaction of, am I living through what Daphne is living through? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I almost think there is more empathy and compassion there for Daphne Mm. after she discovers this, because I think like we saw, she thinks that like, they're fine, right? She told Daphne that Ethan hasn't changed. Everything's mostly been the same. She felt very secure in that. And then to find the condom, I think, sort of skews things in a different direction. I just was, I don't know. I just, maybe I maybe I hate women. I don't know. But I was like, why aren't you just asking him? <laughs> to me, it, it felt like an extremely plausible way for how this might play out. Like, yeah. it felt extremely plausible. Like, like how to even approach this. How to like, even approach it. And like, and also like they clearly already had communication problems before, you know, yes, with like that's him fair. jerking off while, you know, she's and like not they They don't, they don't have an easy time communicating about each other's needs already mm-hmm. prior to this event. Mm-hmm. And so I understand why she wouldn't want to open up this Pandora's box because there's probably a lot going on there. So anyway, it will, sorry, just the last thing that I'll say too, is like, just it's, I like that we're talking through this because it's making me, Uh, like confront and reassess some of my initial opinions because part of my initial opinion also was like she's a lawyer she's used to like sticking Mm. up for people and sort of being direct and all of that and I sort of assumed doing that professionally you would be like that personally but I also think it's very truthful that like you can compartmentalize and act a certain way in your job and then act a different way in your relationship totally so I think if I if I'm going to cut her some slack, which I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Roxana, you're talking with one of the most direct people I know. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I'm generally extremely direct with people to, mm-hmm. a, to a fault. It's mm-hmm. like created mm-hmm. problems for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of compassion for for Harper because, yeah. I, you know, yes, I, I think uh, to be clear, I, I don't think that's the only the you know Ethan Cam scenario is the only one she's contemplated. I think she's, no, no, no. She's trying to I, process yeah. like all these different possibilities of what, what could might have be happened. Happening. Right. Yes. And and she's trying to suss it out, and obviously would love it if Ethan actually just said it to her. Yeah, and um, my frustration is also with Ethan because I'm like, why are you protecting this man who told you to inside trade? <laughs> that yeah, I mean. Ethan, I have no sympathy or understanding of. I, I will say that because, like, she, she, he takes it so far. Like mm-hmm. when, uh, like, she asks him at the, at the big, you know, when she finds the condom, and then she asks him later in the day, and then when they're like in bed, you know, she's like, "So what ha- actually happened?" It's like, dude, you're supposed to be a freaking smart guy. Like, you yeah. created a start. You're like, <laughs> and if she you're clearly willing to... knows something is up, right? And she, if you're like, willing why to would lie... she be asking if she didn't know something is up? You know, yeah. so like. At, you you got to give her something to like indicate that you know that she know you know like it, he was he was behaving in a way that was bizarre to me mm-hmm. yes so I, there, there I will agree with you uh, it made I, me think I, of uh, did you see the last duel I did yeah it made me think of the last duel when Ben Affleck is like deny <laughs> yeah I just felt like if I deny it then it's like it didn't happen and she'll never find out. I understand the bro code idea of like, oh yeah, you're not, you don't want to say anything. Cause it's, it's like, then like, 
um, Harper tells Daphne, and mm-hmm. then Daphne tells, and then it's a whole thing, and Ethan doesn't want to cause that. I get that. But only to the point where your wife isn't clearly like drilling down and like yeah. clearly knows something is, you know, like it, it just, that was the part that struck me as very implausible was like, he should know that she knows something is up. And so. that she won't let it go. Yes. Exactly. Like we've already seen over the course of this vacation, she's not going to let stuff go. So why would you sort of expect her to? And then the heartbreaking part of it is that, again, sort of changing my own opinions as we talk, <laughs> uh, like Daphne sort of knows, right? Like Daphne knows. Right. Right. You know? So as much as I resent Daphne for her wealth and access, and I think she's better off than many, many other people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she clearly knows or at least guesses what's going on. So if she directly found out, I don't think her life would really be that different. She would just know an additional time that something's happening that she already knew about. Uh, well, I'm glad to slightly bring you over to my side. It's Ethan that no, behaves no, no. much more weirdly in this episode than Harper, yeah. in my opinion. But anyway, yeah. uh, any other thoughts on this plot line? I mean, they go to dinner together. You know, it's it's cool that like I think every day in the in the um on the trip is like an episode of the show. Like mm-hmm. you kind of get a sense of the rhythms of the day and the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to dinner c- together. There's a really hilarious scene, honestly, where. Giuseppe, the piano player, collapses, and then Cam like looks at it, is like, "Oh, table for four, please." You know, literally um, just turns away from this man. <laughs> between never um, change, Cam, never change. Between triangle of sadness and the menu, which I just watched last night, and this scene, it's a really good year for takedowns of rich people eating in nice places. Mm-hmm. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they go to dinner together and Daphne's talking about training for a 10K. Um, and after dinner, they each each of the couples go to bed and Cam and Daphne have a seeming reconciliation where uh, Cam says, or uh, Daphne says, don't ever leave me again. Or Cam says to Daphne, don't ever leave me again. And he says, I won't. Wait, am I? Which who said who to I what? Think, I thought that Cam said, "Don't you ever leave me again?" Yes, okay. Because it's Daphne who leaves on the yeah, trip, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and then he, you know she says, "I won't," and it, you kind of see the dynamic that she described kind of play out. Yeah, you know, yeah, amongst the two of them. And again, it's outwardly it seems very like sweet and nice, and you know, like it hides something much more toxic underneath. Yeah. Either um, way, whichever one of them says it, there is like codependency there that at this point is established. Um. The only other thing that I would say about this episode is that if we're still playing the who could die game, (laughs) Harper does walk down to the water at some point, I think, Mm -hmm. and stares out over it, maybe melancholy, maybe just puzzling through what's happened. But there is a Harper in or near water moment that could be foreshadowing, maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps. Might be. Well, that is the Harper, Cam, Daphne, Ethan storyline. I said those mm-hmm. in a little bit of the wrong order, but that's that storyline. And I really liked it a lot this episode. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you liked it a little more after talking to me about it. Mm. So, okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> I still think that they, that their relationships and how they complement and conflict against each other, I think are the most 
clearly delineated, right? Like mm-hmm. I think they're the yes. best developed so far yes. this season. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Completely. I may quibble with like how it's executed, but I think they are the core four. Yeah. Agreed. Well, you know what would probably do these characters some good, Roxana Hadati? Hmm, is tell me. if they these four characters in the White Lotus felt a little bit more of a sense of community with each other, you know? Mm. Uh, if they could perhaps bond over some great food, some great community. Uh, and I, I say this because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, hmm. uh, proudly serving communities since 1965. And it's no surprise here that at Decoding TV, we absolutely love the idea of community. Over the last decade, uh, I've been recapping shows on podcasts and videos and grateful to find and foster a community of TV lovers who truly enjoy each other's company and who can bond over our shared excitement about the biggest shows in the zeitgeist. Uh, And that's really what Cam, Harper, Ethan, Daphne really need, I think, is a better sense of community, a better sense of connection with each other. If they did have that, they probably wouldn't have so many profound issues as depicted on the show. That's probably true. So like split some chicken nuggies and... Call it good. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. why I'm really proud and excited for Decoding TV to partner with, with McDonald's because they truly care about fostering a sense of community. And one of the biggest ways McDonald's fosters their wonderful sense of community is through their incredible crew members who work hard to truly make you feel like you're right at home when you stop at a McDonald's. I have a McDonald's down the street and I always enjoy going there because I'm using the app these days. I get some mm-hmm. cool deals and I'm always greeted by a really friendly crew member who delivers my food to me uh, fast and efficiently. And uh, it's always a delight because uh, McDonald's food, it uh, tastes delicious and it's very comforting. So whether you know that crew member who always remembers that you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Hmm. Thank you to them. Indeed. All right, let's move on. Other plot lines this episode. So, as you said, the plot lines are starting to intercept, Mm -hmm. and uh, that makes recapping them a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at Roxana's notes, and Roxana, by the way, does an excellent job with notes. And you've written here, Portia slash Tanya, with some Portia slash Billy and Tanya slash Quentin thrown in there. (laughs) So, same morning, Portia and Tanya Mm -hmm. discuss Albi. Portia... And I said is, Billy, but it's Jack, right? Isn't the isn't the nephew Jack? Yeah, uh, you tell me. I think <laughs> it's, I think it's Jack. I don't know Are, why in my mind I decided his <laughs> name was Billy. That was just the name you gave to him when I really you, did. Let you me, know, let me, uh, let me check. This. That was just the name you gave to him when you know you 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 saw him for the first time. You're like, that's Jack right there. No, you know? or I said that's Billy. Okay, no. Portia finds herself spending the day with his beguiling nephew, Jack. I just named this man Billy for some reason. Incredible. Incredible. I, I take back everything I said about how good the, the notes are terrible. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Now <laughs> we know. They are garbage. They're okay. trash. Yes. So Portia and Tanya discuss Albie and Portia's like, I'm kind of into him, but I'm not really into him. Um, and then they run into Quentin and his crew again. Mm-hmm. And Quentin really takes a liking to Tanya. Quentin is played by Tom Hollander. Mm-hmm. He is British, but he's an expat and he now lives in Palermo and he has a boat. Um, so he invites them to all go to the beach club, which they do. And by doing so, Portia basically blows off Albie, who has been right. waiting for her by the pool. Right. Um, 
I, I thought Portia at this point was still behaving reasonably because she's still supposed to be working for Tanya during this time. So yes, at this stage, I thought, hey, she's just still working right now. But anyway, but because in this realm, everyone can suck. I did think she could tell Albie, like, hey, I definitively cannot hang out today. That would have been nice. That yeah. would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, there is a uh, subreddit called mm-hmm. Am I the Asshole? Mm-hmm. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and they have, like, little acronyms for um, whether or not you're the asshole. So you you basically post a story, and you're like, am I the asshole in this situation? Right. Uh, and it's it's short for it, the, the acronym is A-I-T-A, am I the asshole? Mm-hmm. One of the acronyms people can respond with is ESH. Everyone sucks here. Yeah. Yes. It's so true. The White Lotus is an ESH situation. Everyone yes. sucks here. Yes. Everyone yes. sucks here. Because Albie is sort of, again, pressuring her to hang out. He's not really picking up on the fact that she might not necessarily want to. But Portia could also be more direct. Like yes. I feel like she's hedging her bets. Albie is not picking up on the she's just not that into you vibes. That's, yes. That's Albie's problem. Yes. And, and and to me, this is less out of malice and more out of inexperience. Yeah. Know? Okay. That's fair. Um, but I mean, I don't necessarily agree, but sure. You can. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll find out certainly, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, at the beach club, Quentin and his friends are already there. And there's lots of different dudes that Quentin's hanging out with. And it seems like a fun party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tanya and Quentin seem to like establish a connection and Quentin's like, let's hang out more. Let's come to come to the this uh, island with me. Come on the boat with me. Like, let's do stuff together. And that's most of the episode uh, in terms of their plot line. I think yeah. like Tanya is trying to weigh how faithful she's going to be to Greg. Um, you know, and, and what, you know, how much she's going to indulge herself while she's out here by herself. I don't know if you have anything else to say at this point. This to me just feels like it's kicking off this plot line. Yeah, I just think it's kicking it off. I would again, uh, if we're on Death Watch, which I'm going to say we are. I'm going to say yeah. we're on Death Watch at this point. We're on Death Watch, yeah. We're on Death Watch. I thought that Quentin's story about the woman who was killed for her land was also sort of foreboding. Mm-hmm. That he tells Tanya the story about this island and this woman who lived there and she was the matriarch of this family uh, and developers wanted the land so they basically killed her and like threw her off a cliff or something uh and tanya was suitably unnerved by this story and then quentin was like but the island is really beautiful (laughs) 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 so it it is sort of that whiplash it all makes up for it yeah 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 portia and jack do a lot of flirting which albie then sees from the pool below Quentin's nephew yes jack is quentin's nephew jack from essex he's been in palermo for a couple months uh, and he's kind of tired of hanging out with these gay dudes who uh, only hang out with other much older women. Right. Um, seems like Portia's presence is very refreshing to him. Um, so... Tanya's is expected. Portia's is unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then they go to dinner, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the... the Tanya doesn't have any female friends and they kind of have a conversation. Tanya and Portia have interaction about like uh, the, the nature of female friendship, you know, a lot of like reflection about female friendship going on this episode between Mm -hmm. Daphne and Harper and now Tanya and, and Portia. Um, But anyway, uh, the 
conf- final confrontation happens at the bar when Portia and Jack uh, start hanging out and then start making out and then you know it becomes a full blown thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm curious uh, if you wanted to if you had any more comment on the Portia plotline this episode. I will say that uh, it, it's very clear. Like, is it just was it just my imagination or did Portia? Um, put a lot more work into her appearance this episode than in previous episodes. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe I felt like her, she was much more heavily made up and like had like a very attractive dress on than, than compared to like when she was hanging out with Albie. That's my perception. Okay. But I, I mean, I could see, I mean, she's clearly into Jack. Yeah, she's clearly into Jack. She's clearly so she's gonna, into Jack. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that. Uh, and she's doing the exact opposite. It's so funny because last episode, didn't ta- Tanya sort of tell her, don't go for emotionally av- unavailable men, which felt like go for Albie. Like he likes yes. you. He's nice. Whatever. Yes. He might not be super exciting, but what it seems stable. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, she is so, you know, Jack is into you. Jack's hot. Jack likes you. Like it's clear that Jack is like. I don't want to say bad news, but he's just like the vacation guy, right? I mean, she he is who Portia sort of wanted to hook up with to make the vacation go by easier. But I, I'm sort of getting the, I don't know, I'm getting sort of, I'm getting sort of, I don't want to say nefarious, but just like, a, I don't know, I'm, get, I'm getting a vibe. I'm getting some kind of vibe. From Jack, you mean? Yeah, like he's hot, but like, I don't know. Uh, hot and dangerous or like yeah, you worry he's and... gonna break her heart in some way yeah i mean, I mean he seems like a fuck boy like he just he doesn't yeah. seem you know well here's what is great about the show though is i do think it captures that portia and jack have like way better chemistry than portia 100 percent. like and that's you know you think that that's you know as you're watching or listening because you're like oh well of course they would but it's like no they a lot of work went into the writing and mm-hmm. the acting to make that feel much more organic like albie could have played they could have figured out a way for albie to have that kind of uh you know chemistry with her they didn't in terms of like creating the show like they didn't yeah. do that and so um i like that you see that dichotomy no i mean she um, definitely is to your point she's definitely trying more <laughs> yes. like she's flirting actively like with yeah. albie it's always it's very clearly friend zone from yeah. the beginning um whereas with this guy who she first saw in the pool and now they're hanging out at the beach club. It is very clearly uh, going to be sexual. And it is by the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. But there, do you want to talk about the, the, you sort of mentioned that there's like a competition vibe at the bar. Do you want to talk yeah. about that here or with yeah, Albie? Let's, I mean, I mean, I don't know that we need to talk about that much stuff that happens to Albie, right? Like mm-hmm. he tries to wait for Portia that episode. Lucia comes in and kind of their lives intersect and he ends up hanging out with her all day. Basically is kind of mm-hmm. what happens with Albie. Right. Um, and well, let me say Lucia does not know who Albie is. Right. I think that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the complicating, <laughs> interesting point there is that Albie clearly does not know who she is. Albie, I think just thinks she's like a local vacationer. Yeah. He sweet innocent Albie does not understand as Cam did immediately yeah. that they are sex workers. Uh and Lucia does not know that Albie is connected to Dominic because Albie basically blows off 
Bert and Dom when he thinks he's going to be hanging out with Portia. And then when he's upset about not hanging out with Portia, he's like, I still don't want to hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I think Bert, who's the, uh, what's his name? F. Murray uh, Abraham. F. Murray Abraham character. He like knows everything now. He like, knows he everything. Knows, he yeah. knows that they're prostitutes that slept with Dominic. And he knows that Albie's like potentially going to hook up with Right. One of them. Because they were um, in his room. So he yes. also knows that they have access to his room for some yes. reason. So he knows the whole yeah. deal. He knows he has all the information now. He's having a great uh, time on this vacation. <laughs> Everything's being paid for. He's getting yeah. free entertainment. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's, amazing. it's great. Yeah. Bert's yeah. having a great time. Yeah, agreed. Um, so anyway, they at the bar that night, right? Um, Albie's like, hey, I'm going to... I have dinner with someone, you know, someone mm-hmm. else, and he and Lucia uh, start hanging out at the bar. Oh, here's what I will object to. Okay, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I largely think the depiction of Albie has been pretty sympathetic so mm-hmm. far, so mm-hmm. far. Um, but I did get a whiff of the assholishness uh, when he emphasize to lucia that he is from stanford like he went to stanford yes he's like oh yeah i uh, i graduated from college i went to stanford fy mm-hmm. um now i david chen went to a small school near, near the boston area called harvard mm-hmm. i don't know if you've heard of it i have not and no. um is it the, do people know about <laughs> in Never the uh in in social circles in boston it was uh, there. There's a term uh, about like what you like. The act of bringing up that you went to Harvard is called dropping the H bomb. At least it was decades ago. That's probably not what the cool kids are saying these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, when you're in school, people will ask you like, "What do you do? Like, where do you go to school?" And then like, then you need to make a decision about whether or not you're going to tell them mm-hmm. um, which school you went to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because if you say oh, I go to school near Boston. And then they're like, well, what school? And then you say yeah. Harvard. Then you look like an asshole because it's like, well, why did you just say that from the beginning? Like, I think it's a know. damned if you do, damned if you don't. 100%. Because, because 100%. if you say you went to school near Boston, I'm like, I fucking know where this guy went to school. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, like, and then if you say like, I went to Harvard, then you look like you're like, this asshole. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay, yeah. here's the, here's my issue with Albie. He didn't need to say jack shit about any no. of that stuff. literally <laughs> nothing. He was just no. like, I went to school. You probably don't even know where Stanford is. No. Um. So the fact that he's like, I went to Stanford. I'm like, oh, like, mm. I'm I'm starting to get on the Roxana train here mm-hmm. about like Albie being a jerk. How um, did you feel about him telling Lucia that her English was really good? I thought that was fine. You know, was it, <laughs> was it really fine? Why, why Roxana? Why, why do you think it's not fine? I just again, I feel like there there's so many implications there. Like, oh, your English is really good. Yeah, it's mm. Europe. Like, I feel like most people's English <laughs> in Europe is good. <laughs> Whatever. Fair enough. I, I I really feel like there's this toxic thing going on with you and Albie. You're just you know you know how when like you you don't like someone so much like every one of their actions everything is becomes negative? a slight. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, that's how I feel about hair. you and Albie right now. Stupid. Um, but uh, I, the last thing I feel like we should say about Albie before we talk about the bar scene is that he again sort of tells his father that he's not going to advocate for him to his mom extremely reasonably i would say Mm -hmm. i think that's fair um and actually like i just i just finished watching the crown season five this week too and there's Mm -hmm. like um a bunch of scenes of like diana inappropriately talking about her relationships with her son arguably inappropriately talking about her relationship with her son and it's like it just i don't like 
I don't think kids should need to be in this position. And I think mm-hmm. Albie is right to reject Dominic's suggestion mm-hmm. that he like be the mediator of their relationship. Like I, that, that that's my perception. What did you, what did you think the Roxana since you don't seem to like anything Albie does? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, I think that's fair. Again, I think we're sort of t- potentially talking around the extent of what Dominic did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if we'll ever get more details or if that will just remain somewhat yeah. nebulous. Um, but it's clear that generationally, Bert, I don't think, knows as much. Mm-hmm. And I think Albie seems to know everything mm-hmm. and wants to have nothing to do with it. So I can understand that. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> poor Dominic. Dominic has a very, like, woe is me episode where he doesn't hang out with his son. He's irritated by his father. And then he just goes back to his room and sadly he, looks he at He doesn't porn. even have the will to... Uh, watch pornography no. in his room. Like that's, he's just like I'm done. I'm a done broken with this. man. A he's broken like, clearly man. a broken man. When <laughs> even the you porn is not enough for him, that's when no, you know he's done. It's not. Um, but yeah, I I just I feel very strongly about it. Like in my own life, like that children should not be put in a situation where they need to like deal with their parents' shit. You know, sure. And so I feel like Dom is out of line. See, see, somehow Roxana, all the sympathy points are safe for Dominic, even though he's the one explicitly acting like the biggest asshole in this episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I have, I have like a, I have a serious fondness for like for a, sad old men. Like yes. that's like a given. <laughs> Young men, trash. Yes. Sad fair. old men. That's that's my jam. Fair, um, fair, fair. So. But yeah, so then, so Dom and Bert go back to their rooms, right? So they leave yeah. Albie at the bar. Yeah. With Lucia. Yeah. So Albie and Lucia are at the bar. Portia and Jack are at the bar. They each sort of see each other yeah. and they decide to do, you know, the thing you did in high school where you would try to like make the other person jealous. It's very high schoolish. It's very high school. Um, So eventually uh, each side is like making out and then Lucia and Albie go back to his room. And again, the implication is that they uh, have sex, right? Yes. Yes. So and it. You know, this was like I know you are in the Albie hate train, and that's sure. cool. But like, this is sad to me because I actually felt like Portia and Albie like could have could have had a good relationship, you know, to some degree. Hmm. Um, like they could have learned from each other. They did feel like a good match. But then, like you, once, like you genuinely think they could have had a romantic relationship. Mm, I don't know. You know, Portia clearly wasn't into him. You know, yeah. But it's like, um, so maybe it's like a good idea on paper. You know, but like it, you need to have chemistry with someone to to be good with each other. But there's clearly like some affection there, some mm-hmm. some chemistry there. And then they both get into this like escalating jealousy contest, basically, right? That like once once the um, missiles have been launched, it's hard to call them back into the silos. Basically, mm-hmm. is kind of what has happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, she there's a moment when Albie sees them making out, and then he's like, I'm gonna go back to my room. And then Lucia's like, Don't let her win. Yeah, and I felt like that was like, I, I thought that was like a nice, compassionate moment from Lucia, even you know, yes, it's in the furtherance of like vengefulness, but like it's kind of like Lucia's like basically having compassion on this guy whose dad she had sex with earlier in the week. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, like, <laughs> if I you had I'll any be- other thoughts on this plot line or that scene. Well, I. All of this is so hard to tell because Jack and Lucia are the ones who amplify things, right? Because Portia is like, I feel really bad. Albie's over there, you know, like, 
she she at least says she feels some sort of shame right. or discomfort yeah. uh, about the sort of failure of this relationship and it's jack who starts kissing her if i remember correctly mm-hmm. so jack is like fuck that guy mm-hmm. and then lucia is the one who is like hey fuck her with lucia i think it becomes complicated um and maybe this is a way to sort of talk about her storyline as well um because in the beginning of this episode she is sort of regretful about being a sex worker mm-hmm. she talks about like the embarrassment that she feels and she thinks she's going to be judged and there's like a lot of catholic guilt happening so i couldn't glean from this interaction with albie if she is trying to work him because she's in the hole from what cam owes her mm-hmm. so if she is seeing him as a potential client or if she likes him outside of that that was my interpretation was like i, I don't think she considered him a john i think she was like okay. she's been She's been trading sex for money this whole week, mm-hmm. and she now wants to. She now wants to use her sex for good, basically. Oh it's my kind God. of the phrasing kind of, of that. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Um, okay, let's, you know let's, like, do, she, it, let's she, do it differently. She wants to have sex uh, in a non-professional capacity. Yeah, yeah. capacity. Yes. Well, see, and that's the thing: non-transactional. I think all relationships are transactional. Hmm. Even personal relationships are in some way transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she wants it outside of the context of uh, direct financial payment. Maybe. I don't know if we know enough. Yeah. I still don't I, know I, I if we agree. know enough about her to know. I, I would agree that the characterization of Lucia Mia is thin and that's mm-hmm. a problem for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think like what we do see is like it's, it's an act, from my perspective, it's an act of compassion. Like that okay. she, she takes pity on this guy. And it's like, this guy's getting completely emotionally devastated by this other person. And like, I'm going to like show him a good time because that's something that I know how to do. You know? Do women do this? Do women take pity enough on random men to give them a blowjob? I don't I know. Have no, it's never happened to me before. So, yeah, I don't um, know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. But, but uh, I think it's conceivable. So anyway. Okay. Okay. It's hard. Uh, it's hard because they're yes. I I I still don't really feel like they are fully fledged characters. Yeah, Although we're yeah. spending more time with them, well, I still don't really sense that. And I think that lack of characterization really becomes a problem. This episode character development mm-hmm. becomes a problem because in this episode, as you said, there is the conversation with Mia and Lucia where Lucia starts feeling bad, and then Mia's like, "Wow, like." Now I feel super empowered with I my like sex. this. I like this. This is great. I want to do this more. And then so she tries to sleep with that piano guy. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about that scene is, or what I thought that scene was trying to say is, even in a scenario where a woman feels empowered uh, to um, use her body in a way that benefits her, like mm-hmm. where like she has full control and autonomy and decision-making ability, she is still in some way limited by the man, right? Like she's still um, the, like the man still holds like some amount of control, even in that scenario. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I thought that was my interpretation of that scene. That said, I thought that whole sequence was really funny. Like, you know, going into the church and it being deconsecrated and them like, you know, being embarrassed in front of all these like Im- religious imagery, like all that stuff. I thought that was very amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like extremely sad and depressing because 
there's that moment when like she gives him stuff that she thought was Viagra, but it's not. And right. Um, and they're sitting there waiting for him to get hard. And it's just like, this is like one of the most depressing things, scenarios I can think of is being in a deconsecrated church, waiting for this guy's dick to get hard. Like mm-hmm. that's probably a pretty sad moment for Mia in that, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of my thoughts on how that played out. What, what did you think, Roxana? I don't know. I, <laughs> I honestly don't know because I, I, I truly don't know if the show knows, like we talked mm-hmm. about this from the very beginning where I sort of thought there was a um, judgmental yeah. uh, sort of woman shaming angle mm-hmm. to the first time that Dom and Lucia have sex. And then like, felt- is she supposed to be forbidden? You know, like, is it, right. is he like going into the dark side by like, yeah, you know, what does she represent? Right, exactly. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, and then in, in this episode, it again, everything about it just felt very rushed. It felt very rushed for Lucia to both have this, um, I should stop doing this, I feel bad. And yet, I need to find another client and like make ends meet. It felt like that was sort of rushed. There was some whiplash to that uh, decision making for me. And then again, with Mia... My understanding of the Mia character is that she's never done this before. She mm-hmm. doesn't sleep with Dom. I'm not sure if she sleeps with Cam. I think that is sort of murky again. Yeah. So I think to go from someone who has been uh, like refusing to do these things to someone who's like, actually, I think this is really good. And I, I'm going to sleep with yeah. the piano player to get exactly what I want felt very naive or at least very again hasty so i just yeah. i uh, to be fair I like know. the character seems pretty young you know so it's understandable that a character like that would be naive but i think I you're right we don't we we don't know enough about the character so to the extent that like her pivoting to that yeah. it's not very meaningful if you don't know what she was like before like what was she always predisposed to this or you know right you get a little bit of it but like it's not enough in my opinion to make this heel turn really meaningful so i agree i would agree with you there yeah yeah and i and again i felt like then the shame that she feels in this church right because the first time she stops because she is like focusing in on the like religious iconography and it makes her uncomfortable so again it's sort of like i feel like the show wants to have it both ways I think it wants to both say, like, sex work could empower you, maybe, but it also could lead you down this road of, like, self-loathing. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't buy it necessarily with these characters. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, All right. And then I think the only other thing to discuss, well, I I guess I do want to mention, I just think it's inherently funny, the situation where she's trying to feed this guy Viagra and she probably gives him like acid or something. Molly or something, you know, that's, that's like, I think just that's hilarious, like inherently as a scenario. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think she also realizes, wait a second, like this is just some random piano guy at this bar. Like, I don't think he can actually help me achieve my dreams. Like that does. Wait, why would she think that again? Just to go back to like, I don't know yeah. how naive they're supposed to be. Yeah. Why would she think this random man would be her key to success to being a singer? It just doesn't track. People Dom believe lots could of probably silly help things. her more. Dom is like a big Hollywood producer, yes. right? Isn't that the implication? Yes. 
So look, mm. look, people believe lots of silly things when they're in their early twenties, Roxana. You know, and uh, and uh, they, they, people don't know how to work. Don't know how the world works. So. You know what's funny is that you're saying this about two female characters, but I did not hear you saying this about Aldi, who was also in his early twenties. Uh. I, I think I did say that. I, I, I was like, hey, "This is." I said, "I literally said, inexperience is like a, a hmm. lot of what's causing his problems." Hmm. Um, so, but I'm I think you're slander you. I'm going to start slandering you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may, may, I mean, uh, I'm being sympathetic to both of them. I'm saying like they, neither, none of them know how anything how any of this yeah. works. Anyway, both parties is what I'm saying. Anyway, okay. The only other thing is Valentina in this mm-hmm. episode. Um, in the earlier episodes of this podcast, I said maybe Valentina is just socially awkward. That's mm-hmm. why she's saying all those ridiculous things to the guests when they arrive. Now I'm like, no, no, Roxana, Valentina's just bad at her job. She's like, just bad at her job. She's I just think. bad at her job. Like she's or is it just a language barrier thing? But no, she actively no. does not want to help the guests. Yes. yes. Like somebody's like, she's like, Oh, I don't know where to get any jewelry. And then, you know, um, this is one of the big complaints of this season, Roxana, mm-hmm. from like that I've read online is that um there is no Armand-esque character. We are not in with the uh service people as I much agree. as I think we said that in the beginning. Yeah. Like yeah. there but, is a lack here of that perspective. Although there are more Italian characters, more characters of this location. Yes. There's yes. not really a sense of how the resort is run. I feel like yeah. there are far fewer resort employees overall to really get a sense of what is it actually like to be here and work here yeah which is one of the cool ideas behind the first season was like we're Mm -hmm. getting it from both sides Um, Mm -hmm. and here we have valentina who like is in my opinion like it's actually almost like implausibly bad how how bad she is like Mm -hmm. I, i i have trouble believing someone who treats guests like she does would rise to her level wealthy guests very wealthy guests you know, I have on a very rare occasion been able to visit a resort like this. And that is not how you treat guests like that in this mm-hmm. kind of resort, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so that's bad, but, but she has these kind of weird moments with Isabella, this, this episode where she kind of gives Isabella this, this gift, the starfish that she pins on her jacket. It feels like maybe she's into Isabella possibly, mm-hmm. right? It's I think kinda... she's into Isabella. I just think the show is doing a very bad job. Yeah. Uh, making clear that she is a lesbian or queer. I just think we're not, that's not clear. And again, it sort of is like, again, the Armand. Yeah. Armand um, was into his other fellow, you know, coworkers, uh, coworkers at the, at his thing, his thing too. So this to me just feels like a shittier half baked version of the Armand storyline in some ways, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bummer for now. Mm-hmm. Still three episodes left to go in this season. So maybe it'll change, but yeah. Anything else about the Valentina storyline or I don't this think so. Yeah, I mean, I think there's yeah. very little to say because there's very little to dig into there. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that is season two, episode four of The White Lotus. And uh, the title of the episode is In the Sandbox. Mm-hmm. Biggest things for me I'm curious about. Obviously curious who's going to die this season, but also uh, I just want to see how the Harper-Ethan storyline resolves. Like, I think there's probably going to be some confrontation or some blow up next episode and that'll be interesting. But I'm really loving that storyline so far, and I'm really enjoying this podcast, Decoding Me TV, too. with I, you, Roxana Haddadi. I so, cannot believe that we're over halfway through at this point. We're over halfway through. Yeah. Uh, it's I, it's flown by, and 
uh, and really appreciating people's engagement on the on mm-hmm. the emails and writing in, and it feels you know feels like a little community has has formed around uh, the podcast. So we're really appreciative of that. So. Roxana Haddadi, tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet until our next episode. Yes, you can find me at Vulture or I, I guess for now you can find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> for as long as that is a medium where you can find someone, you can find me there. And I would strongly recommend you follow Decoding TV on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, at Decoding TV. More episodes of the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast and want it to continue and cover other shows throughout the year, become a paid member at decodingtv.com. We really appreciate it. Until next week, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.